The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of Aussie-made on-demand videos to help you look to God daily. Be challenged by a series of apologetic interviews produced by Creation Ministries International and inspired by Helping Hands, which showcases people and organisations who make the world a better place. There are new videos being added every week in the free Vision Christian Media app. Just tap the Watch tab to see the growing selection. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. I travelled across to Hawaii and recorded a conversation with Pastor Wayne Cadero, the founder of New Hope Churches. Here's how the conversation went. Well, Matt, first of all, it's great to be with you, and uh, it's an honor to be able to address people about what God's doing, because He is doing great things. Here at the Bible College, our our hope and our our focus is on the future generation. Uh, like David, when David uh, got older in his life, he focused on the next generation. You know, he brought in all of the building equipment, all of the materials for the temple. He didn't build a temple, but he made it ready so that the next generation of leaders, Solomon, could actually continue to follow God. And uh, for many of us, uh, for me included, my greatest ministry is going to be in the next generation. And so I, too, in that David way, want to invest in young men and women who have a call, like I did, and we want to make sure that they're prepared. One of the things that I'm realizing is that, uh, you know, the future of our churches, Matt, they, they don't suffer from a lack of leaders. They're actually suffering from an overabundance of underdeveloped leaders, Young men and women that have a zeal may even have a call, but they are unprepared. And so they do the best they can, but many mistakes and fears are wedged into their decisions, and then they've got to live by the consequences of that. So what we want to do is do the best we can through the scars and sufferings that we've received to impart to them some wisdom so that they can avoid many of the pitfalls. Now, I've just discovered recently that this was actually your Bible college. You were trained here. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, go back to the beginning and find out a little bit about your story. Uh, tell us about uh, where your upbringing was and what was your upbringing like uh, before you uh, ended up at Bible college. Well, it wasn't the ideal um, uh, upbringing. My father and mother divorced. It was a messy divorce at a very early age when I was about six years old. And I remember the fights and all of the fuming and uh, then... My father would leave and uh, come back and leave, and finally he left with another lady. And uh, so my mother, being a single mom now, had to raise four of our chil- us children and on a waitress's a, uh, salary. And uh, my father went into the uh, went overseas in the military, and uh, he was able to take more dependents with him. And my mother had remarried, so it was tough on her. Now she had two more children, so there are six of us, and uh, so. Some of us went with my dad. We went over to Japan where we lived for three years, and my father was very, very strict. I tell people he disciplined us in the true military fashion. He laid down the stripes until we saw the stars. <laughs> and and so he was extremely strict, very, very strict, and so much so that four of us started with my dad. Two of them, my older brother and sister, actually left and went back with my mother in Hawaii. And uh, then my dad moved to Oregon. That's where he retired, and that's how I got here. Well, I uh, 
was uh, I did not follow Christ. I was although I was in a Catholic parochial school, I had I didn't have a didn't have a, a clear relationship with Christ. I was on drugs. I was in a rock and roll band at that time, and uh, living with a girl, and uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. Well, I went to a college, a community college, to study music and business, and uh, there. A Christian music group came and did a concert, and then I thought, wow, if you can play music and love God, I might be open to that. And so that's what started my journey, my quest to find out. So it wasn't long after that, about, oh, three months later, I received Christ. It was about May of that year, and uh, July, uh, I came down to Eugene, Oregon, because I felt God had called me not to just be in the family of God, but to be a minister in the family of God. So I came down to this college that I'm now the president of and started off as a young 19-year-old, fresh, wet-behind-the-ears, young Christian, and that began my journey. Okay, and I've seen some photos, and, uh, you know, in Australia we have this thing called a mullet, you know, which is the long hair. You know, like Billy Ray Cyrus, you know, you, you had nice long hair, and I see that album cover in your office here, Manor Bread and Co. Tell, tell us about the band you're in. Well, we started a, 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 a group, and uh, we started uh, traveling around. And my hair looks long in that, but you should have seen it before I cut it. That's after it was cut, because when I was in the rock and roll group, it was during the hippie era, and so we had long hair. And uh, But to come here, we had to cut our hair, and so that's what it looks like. We actually then began to travel for the school, went from church to church. During the summers, we traveled full-time and uh, sang, did some recordings, and uh, it was a wonderful four years uh, while I was here, so it was adventurous indeed. Okay, now, I I know you went over to um, Hilo in Hawaii and uh, pastored a church there for a season, and then eventually uh, was called over to uh, Oahu, the main island there, and... and, uh, you had incredible growth in in the church there, and I love hearing you tell the story about learning about the past revivals of Hawaii uh, with Titus Cohen. Yes. Do you want to tell us about how how that inspired how that inspired you in in this move of God? Yeah, Titus Cohen came in about eighteen twenties, uh, and uh, uh, when he got off the boat, he fell in love with the Hawaiian people so much that in three months now, in three months. He preached his first sermon in Hawaiian. He had memorized his sermon. He had it translated by a Hawaiian person, memorized it and preached. And uh, people from all over the island started moving to Hilo. So a sleepy town of 10,000 swelled to 25,000 because over the next few years, people were hearing the good news preached in their language. God used them in such a way that that church swelled to 10,000 people in 1837. And it impressed me so much. I remember actually standing over the grave of Titus Cohen in Hilo, Hawaii, after I'd studied his life and I was so imprinted by him as he mentored me through a book called Life in Hawaii. It's an autobiography uh, that he finished in 1882 and uh, just prior to his death. And, uh, He imprinted and impacted me so much, I stood over his grave and I asked God for a double portion of this man's anointing, that God would help me to bring again a revival to Hawaii. And I did that when uh, I was 31 years old. 
And since that time, uh, the census has been taken in Hawaii and, and in the nation of America. And uh, from 2000 to 2007, the stat- statistics came back and it said that in every state, the population outgrew the conversion rate in every state in the union except one. And that was the state of Hawaii, where commensurately the conversion rate, percentage-wise, outstripped population growth. And uh, in those years, we calculated, and through New Hope, 83,000 have come to know Christ uh, since we began in 1995 to the year 2010. And so we see God has done a great thing indeed. It's uh, uh, an anointing that we ask for. And uh, if we will ask God for an anointing to do his will, he just may give it to you. While back, I recorded a conversation on History Makers with Wayne Cadero, the pastor of New Hope Church in Hawaii. And I asked him a bit about the importance of church planting. Here's what he had to say. Well, church planting is one of the best ways to reach lost people. Often when churches get to be about 10 to 20 years old, the conversion rate decreases. And it's not for anyone's to anyone's fault. It's just simply because as the church grows, there's more uh, uh, problems or challenges in taking care of or nurturing the saints. And so a lot of the pastoral energy goes in to taking care of the saints and their problems and their situations. And a lot of the energy that could have gone to the harvest has now has to go to nurturing those already saved, already convinced. And so when you start a new church, you have a streamlined group of people whose hearts are all for the harvest. And so there's a large increase and influx of souls, and then that sort of dies down. So what I say to pastors and all New Hope pastors, I say every five years you should pioneer a church out. Pioneer a church out so that it keeps you hungry as a mother church because all of a sudden 50 people or 100 people went out. We did one where we sent over a 1,000, hived a 1,000 out of the mother church. Well, then you've got bare seats. And then all of a sudden the pastor realizes we got to get people saved. Well, if all of the seats are full, you get a little bit lazy. So we actually have hived off our mother church 19 times since 1995. So we're in our 15th year anniversary, but we have hived off 19 churches. That's kept us fresh and vibrant, and we watched every church that we planted on the island of Oahu, and that's just on the island of Oahu, 19 churches. And so we've seen them grow, and it's kept the mother church hungry. Pioneering churches helps us to keep our focus on the lost. And one thing that um, you know research has shown has been you know, the most effective tool in spiritual growth is doing daily devotions and journaling. Uh, you have a passion for that. Tell us a little bit about what journaling is. For those who don't know what journaling is, tell us what it's all about. Journaling is simply uh, you reading through a specific or specified reading program that takes you through the Old Testament and the New Testament systematically. If you, It's sort of like a GPS. If you don't have a plan or a map, you're going to run helter-skelter looking for something that might pacify you or quickly inspire you, but it's not something of deep substance. It's not a catechismic kind of a growth pattern because you need to just have sort of like catechism. It's an old Catholic word, but it just basically is a systematic instruction for the long haul. And we don't do that. We just do helter-skelter inspirational kind of snippets. Well, 
as you read through this, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about one one verse is going to stick out. One verse is going to be pregnant with wisdom that you're going to need. It's just going to explode in your soul, and you'll say, man, do I need that. Well, that's when the journal comes in, and we do this thing called SOAP. S stands for scripture. You write that scripture down. That's highlighted, and I called it with a Holy Ghost highlighter, and he highlighted it. And then O stands for observation. You make an observation. What was Christ saying? Uh, what was the prophet saying? To whom was he saying it? What was going on? Then you distill out of that an A, application. That's S-O-A, application. Now you write, how does this apply to me? My wife, my family, my thoughts, my attitude. God is going to apply it to a part of your life that needs his touch. And you record it. You agree with him. You cooperate. That's what the A is for application. And then P, you record a prayer. So you bury your heart. Lord Jesus, this is my heart. It's not an easy part that I have to do here, but I do know you're asking me to give forgiveness to my in-laws or my brother or whomever it might be. And you make a commitment in prayer to the Lord to obey. When you're done with that, you now have an assignment for today. You do that every day. By the end of the year, you will be 300 times more the person God wants you to be. Absolutely. You know, I can say, you know, I've been a New Hope pastor now for almost four years and been journaling all those four years. And it's by far been the best thing I've ever done as a Christian. I, I just think uh, it, it's a wonderful opportunity to grow. And, you know, most of my preaching comes out of my journaling, you know, and it's, uh, it's just a, a wonderful tool. Uh, now, uh, a couple of other things I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, you're so passionate about evangelism. And a lot of churches these days just don't reach the lost. Uh, what do you think uh, are some of the keys that churches need to pick up so they can reach the lost? How can we be more effective in evangelism? Well, the first is you just have to see that that's our assignment. and We've got to let our light so shine before men. Why? Well, Matthew says in chapter 15 that they see, or five, they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's not just so they see our good works. It has to result in them seeing God in all his glory. Well, that's what we got to do. And I believe that when I step up to the throne in heaven, one of the very first questions God's going to ask me is, how many did you bring with you? And, I, and I, you know, if I say, oh, you should have seen how nice our church was painted, <laughs> God's going to say, that, that's real nice. I did see it. Uh, how many did you bring with you? Oh, Lord, you should have heard our choir. Man, did they rock. Yeah, I heard them. They're all right. How many did you bring with you? And we can go through all of our wonderful programs, but he's still going to come back to that one question for which he gave his life how many did you bring with you and if our answer is well we made it i made it well then that's not enough because there's a whole bunch that didn't so that burns in my soul and i know that uh, in you know 30 years or so many of us are going to be in heaven and so we, we don't have that much time left. We have all of eternity to revel in and boast in and get excited about all the victories that were won. But we only have a few hours left in which to win them. And if we put that off and procrastinate, what in the world are we going to talk about for the rest of eternity? A nicely painted church and a choir that sang well? 
No, no, no. It has to be the hundreds or thousands of souls that are there for an eternity because we cared for the lost. Now, I love your preaching style. You know, you're very funny. Uh, I've uh, stolen a lot of your jokes over the years and a lot of your stories. Uh, I just want to ask you to just retell a few of my favorite stories. Is that all right? You know, we've just got to share these with people. Uh, so just one of them that came to mind that relates to this was uh, the time you were watching Oprah and she was, she had some bodybuilders on there. <laughs> I heard this at the Doing Churches at Team conference. And, you know, we, we're so built up, but we've got to do something about it. Tell, tell us that story. I love this one. Well, it wasn't Oprah. It was actually another guy. Oh, but... Uh, but he had these four bodybuilders sitting on these stools, and you know they wear these speedos, and and uh, I, I tell people it's like the bigger they are built, the smaller their heads get. It's like their heads shrink, but they were massive in bodybuilding and uh, and the muscles. And the interviewer said, "I mean, you guys are, are phenomenal. We just saw you in this exhibition, but during the week." What do you use all these muscles for? Because you've built them so much. I mean, do you like move trains from track to track or refrigerators from house to house? What do you use these muscles for? And the first guy got up and said, for this. And he flexed his bicep in the camera lens, you know, for this. And he just flexed it. And it was Merv Griffin. And he said, no, 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 read my lips. Uh, what do you use these muscles for? The second guy stood up, stuck his back towards the camera and said, for this. And his latissima dorsi muscles just bulged, you know, and quivered. And he sat down and he said, no, 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 what do you use them for? And the third guy said, for this. And he put his thigh towards the camera and flexed that. And by this time, I am rolling with laughter. I'm on the bed holding my stomach. And I said, God, that's the church. That's the Christian church. It's kind of like God gives us so much. So much teaching and inspiration and encouragement and knowledge and anointing. And it's like God says, now, what are you going to use all of this for? You've been, you've listened to 500, a thousand sermons in your lifetime. Now, what are you going to use it for? And we say, you know, for this, and we gruff out, hallelujah, and we raise our hand with great righteousness. And the Lord says, no, 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 what are you using that for? And we say, for this, and we stand up, hallelujah, and we sit back down. And it's like the Lord must be holding his, his stomach in laughter, saying, no, what do you use it for? And if you think about it, there's a lot of Christians that have gone through 500 sermons, tons of camps, tons of seminars. And what are we using all of that for? To go to another Sunday service and say hallelujah and then go home. Now, we've got to use it for something. God has invested so much. It's time for the bride of Christ to rise again and bring glory to the Father. In this segment, I asked him a little bit about the importance of knowing our calling in Christ. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, it's just about identity. You know, we forget who we are and... And uh, we just don't think we're good enough to to teach, to help, to serve. And we just recede and shrink into the background and let others do it. And we just say, well, we're not good enough. And it's time for us to take a hold of the, the uh, plow and plow. When I first started teaching Bible studies, I was 19 years old, and I was brand new in Christ. And someone asked me to teach a Bible study. I had no idea who Jeremiah was. I'd never heard of Elijah. And uh, I, I couldn't pronounce most of the other names, 
But I thought, you know what, I'm going to study and study and study. And I realized that the more I studied, the more I grew. So I started taking not only one study, but two, three studies a week when I was 19 years old. I was not even a year old in Christ. And I realized that the more I got involved, the more I, more I grew. And if I didn't get involved, I stopped growing. So I say to people, you know, uh, you've got God believes in you. And it's time for you to believe in yourself. It's time for you to take leadership. So Dr. Zeus says, uh, gives us a poem that's called Happy Birthday to Me. Kind of like God believes in you. Start to believe in yourself. So it goes like this. If you'd never been born, what would you be? You could have been a rock or a toad or a tree. Or worse than all that, you could have been a wasn't. Now, a wasn't has no fun at all. No, he doesn't. A wasn't just isn't. He isn't present. But you, you're right here. Now, isn't this pleasant? Today you are you, and it's truer than true that there's no one alive that's youer than you. Shout out loud, I'm glad of who I am. Thank God I'm not a rock, a clam, or a ham, or a dusty old jar of gooseberry jam. I am what I am, and it's a great thing to be. If I should say so myself, happy birthday to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that is fantastic. Now, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're a busy man, uh, but uh, we've got a, a bonsai tree here next to us and, uh, you know, part of your Japanese heritage. And uh, I remember you sharing a wonderful story about uh, the importance of pruning the bonsai tree correctly. Do you want to just share that story with us too? Well, I use this story to talk about how uh, pastors and their leaders need to see the beauty in their church. And uh, I, I was in Hilo, and I'm half Japanese. My mother's Japanese. My father's Hawaiian and Portuguese. And uh, I loved uh, bonsai uh, trimming and, and shaping of trees. And so there was this very well-known bonsai master that was coming to Hilo. And uh, so I paid, I think it was $20 or so, to go to this bonsai exhibition. And so there's about, oh, 15, 20, 30 people in this room, when this man, this roly-poly Japanese man entered, balding with a, a holster on each side with a pruning shears, one on each side, and he was as wide as he was tall, and just a sparkling man, about maybe 65, 70 years old, and he walked in, he bowed, and we clapped and said, welcome. And he said, thank you very much. Today I teach uh, how to know bonsai tree. You must uh, learn to cut tree, make a very, very pretty. So I said, okay, yeah, teach us. So he said, okay, we begin now. And he takes out like an azalea bush. And he said, we begin. So we said, okay, begin. Well, the first thing he did, he didn't take out his shears and started clipping. He just looked at it and he turned it. And he turned it again and he grunted, you know, mm. And he just kept turning it around for like 10 minutes. All he did was look at the tree, turn it around and around again. And then finally, like he was hit with a light bolt of lightning, he said, Yosh! And he pulled out his two shears and he just started clipping and little pieces are flying all over the place. And within just a few moments, the most beautiful, asymmetric, but balanced tree emerged and everyone was, wow, we all clapped. And then he bowed. Thank you very much. If you need a brochure on how to do an old bonsai, we have a right over there. Go pick some up. So, yay. Now, I'm just stunned. You know, I'm just sitting there looking at him. Thought, 
this is amazing. Because I'm thinking about the church and how you can take this church that you pioneered or you took over that didn't have much shape and all of a sudden, woo, this thing is just beautiful. I looked at that. Well, everyone's gone and he's sweeping up the little um, branches and things that he had chopped off and with his little brush and putting into a little trash bag. And I walked up and I said, excuse me, mister. And I can't remember his name, so we'll just call him Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> so I said, excuse me, Mr. Miyagi, could I ask you a question? And he turned to me and said, hey, you, you can ask a grasshopper. Go ahead, ask question. So I said, first of all, why did you just look at the tree, the bush, and you just turned it around and turned it around and looked at it and looked inside? Why did you do that? And he said, well, first of all, you must find front of tree and back of tree before you know how to begin pruning. And I thought, I didn't know there was a front of a tree or a back of a tree, but there really is. You bring a Christmas tree home and from the, the store and you say to your wife, here, let's decorate it. What is the first thing she do, does? She turns it and turns it to find the front of the tree and the back of the tree. What side looks more presentable? So he said, you must find front of the tree. And then he said, secondly, you look inside tree because inside every tree is a beautiful tree. You cannot see it at the fast because everything outside is a bushy bushy. But the inside is beautiful tree. If you don't see beauty fast, how do you know what to prune to? You might cut off beauty. So you don't start cutting. You look for beauty inside bush. Now when he's talking like this, I'm thinking, man, I can do a pastor's seminar on this because a lot of us, we just start cutting because we think, it's, it's ugly here. Let's start cutting. And they said, then once you find a beautiful tree, you prune to beauty. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Because you see, in my mind, I'm thinking, we come to a church. And even if you're a congregant, but you've come from another church and it doesn't match your expectation of a church. Or you're a pastor and, and you you just gone to a seminar over at Willow Creek or something, the first thing you do is you come back and you think, oh, we must have widow tree. You know, we just chop, 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 chop. And then we look at the ugly mess we just made and then we say, oh, very ugly. I must go another seminar. I'll be right back, we say to the elders. And we run down to Saddleback or something. And then we come back. Ah, I know the true shape must be like baseboard diamond. And we start chop, 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 chop. And then it looks uglier still. We say, ah, too ugly. I must go another seminar. And by the time we've done this three or four times, the only thing that's left of the church is this little stub sticking out of the dirt. We've trimmed everything down to a stub. And then we look at that and say, oh, I think God calling me now to another ministry. <laughs> and then we leave the church and then we it's just left of the stub. That's why people, when they say new, see a new pastor coming, they all run for cover because they think, oh, he's going to change everything again. Well, the first thing we have to do as leaders is look for the beauty that lies within what God has called us to. There's a beauty there and start with the beauty. And then you will have to trim, you'll have to prune, but you'll prune correctly, not incorrectly. So I never will forget that bonsai exhibition with that Mr. Whoever, Miyagi, that taught me so much from a bonsai exhibition about being a pastor. 
Man, that is just brilliant. I think every pastor needs to hear that story. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I do want to uh, ask for one more favorite story. Uh, it's a story I remember hearing you, you share in a message about a mathematician, uh, a first-year mathematics student who had an exam, and he asked if he could take in a, an A4 sheet of paper. You able to share that story one? You remember that one? Yeah. About which one now? The, uh... There's a mathematics student. And uh, he says to his professor, can I take in an A4 sheet of paper with some equations on it for my exam? And uh, and he, he had a trick up his sleeve. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. the uh, professor said, tomorrow you, you take a very important test. And the student said, can we bring any helps with us? He said, no, it's not an open book. But he said, whatever you can get on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, but one paper only. Then you, whatever you fit on that paper, you can bring, but just one paper. So the next day, there was a graduate math student helping this guy take the test. And the professor said, whoa, whoa, that's illegal. And the student pointed down and said, no, look, he's standing on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And you said, whatever we can fit on that paper, we can bring. So here's a graduate student in math, and he's helping me. And uh, sometimes, you know, we look at uh, our resources, and it's very small. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough, have enough talent. We don't have enough, and you fill in the blank. But it's like Jesus says, I can fit into that. I can fit into that. And we forget that even though we might have only an eight and a half by 11-inch uh, sheet of resources, Jesus can fit on that. And when he stands before you, all the world is at your disposal. I also look at that story uh, in, in another way where, you know, Christianity isn't just about uh, a sheet of paper or a book. It's actually about a person. You know, it's about Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. And, uh, you know, there might be people listening uh, or watching this and thinking, you know what, this guy's got so many great stories. He's full of life. He's got an amazing story about how he came to Christ. And there might be people that haven't made that decision to have a relationship with Jesus. Would you speak to those listeners now about how they could make that connection and, and become a Christian? Yeah, it's, you know, the first thing is when God ignites a little thing in your heart that you say, you know, I don't understand everything there is to understand, but I know something resonates inside of me. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, the Bible says God has put eternity in the heart of every man, not just some, not just Christians every man so that when God speaks a word that is an eternal truth, it resounds, it resonates in the human heart. And if God is touching your heart in any way and it resonates with truth, give into it. The best thing you can do and the greatest victory you'll ever win is when you give into truth. Don't resist it. Don't stumble on it. Don't try to figure it out. Give into that. And let truth overwhelm you. And the Bible says in John 8, it, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Call on his name. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand. Or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.